0: It's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of September 7th, 2007. No, 2008. Geez, I'm a year behind times. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. That's because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. And as the story goes, somebody at Google made a mistake. That somebody sent out a message about the company's new browser. The browser wasn't really ready yet, as so the story went. But Google would release what they had, a browser called Chrome, and they would release it in beta form. Well, that could be exactly what happened, except I have to be just a little suspicious, of something like this that happens on what would be otherwise a very slow news day for technology news. If you make a mistake on a slow day, the media folks who are looking for a new story will be all over it, instantly. Result? You get a lot of free publicity. Google has shown that it's quite adept at getting new publicity. Well, regardless of who did what... When, why, or how, I decided to go ahead and download Chrome. It is clearly beta software. In less than five minutes, I had done something that caused it to crash, and I was able to replicate that crash at will. I did several times, just to get a screenshot. According to Google, people are spending an increasing amount of time online and they are doing things never imagined when the web first appeared in 1993. Fair enough. The announcement from Google says that the developers began seriously thinking about what kind of browser could exist if you started from scratch and built on the best elements available. It's all very altruistic. However, it doesn't take into account the coming battle between Google and Microsoft. It also doesn't mention that Microsoft could take steps to shut Google out of its browser, or at least make Google something that users would have to specifically enable. On the other hand, if Google has its own browser, the playing field is a lot more even. So on the altruistic side, Google says the company owes a great debt to many open source projects. They specifically mention Apple's WebKit, and Mozilla's Firefox. Google says that all of its Chrome code will be open source, and the company hopes to, and I quote, collaborate with the entire community to help drive the web forward. It is true that in the past decade and a half, the web has evolved from simple text pages to a delivery vehicle for interactive applications. What we really needed, according to Google, It's not just a browser, but also a modern platform for web pages and applications. The beta version is, to put it in Google's words, far from finished. I might change that to far, far from finished. If you download Chrome and install it, you'll see an interesting glimpse into the future. The page is simple, it's clean but it's not immediately clear how to accomplish some of the tasks that you might want to accomplish. Google says the plan is to make a browser that stays out of the user's way because your experience on the web isn't about the browser, but about the content. One of the most promising features attempts to accomplish what modern operating systems do. If one application breaks, it should not take down the entire operating system. Applied to the browser, this means that if a website or a web application crashes in one tab, the entire browser shouldn't crash. Add to this a newly developed JavaScript engine and improved protection against rogue sites, and you might have the beginning of the next generation browser. At least, that's what Google hopes will happen. But still, in the back of my mind, there's that cold hard business logic. The logic that says it wants to put Google in charge of everything. And there have been some missteps. One of the most serious errors Google made was in its Terms of Service Agreement. Google refers to this as its End User License Agreement, EULA. And I quote, By submitting, posting, or displaying the content You give Google a perpetual, irrevocable, worldwide, royalty-free, and non-exclusive license to reproduce, adapt, modify, translate, publish, publicly perform, publicly display, and distribute any content which you submit, post, or display on or through the services. Wow, that is breathtakingly broad. Use Chrome to post anything, and you will have just given Google full copyright ownership. Well, needless to say, the stink that arose was large, malodorous, and fast. So fast that Google backpedaled in something approaching 10th gear, I have never seen anyone go faster in reverse. (gasps) It was a mistake, Google said, adding that they will fix the EULA and make it retroactive. That's all very believable. Except that Google has made exactly this kind of mistake in the past. In fact, ABC News wonders whether Google is turning into Big Brother And if you want the full story on that, check the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com, and you'll find a link to the ABC News story on that exact topic. There is ample evidence to support this view. According to reporter Michael S. Malone, Google's ambitions are bigger than most of us have ever imagined. And the company is now rich enough and powerful enough to execute them, even if it means short-term sacrifice of a major new revenue source. Now, understand that ABC is a media company, and Google is a media company. Conflict of interest? Oh, you bet. Well, anyway, maybe these mistakes by Google weren't exactly mistakes, after all. So my caution is... Beware geeks bearing gifts. There have been lots of other opinions this week on Chrome. For example, Google Chrome shines in first look. Or, serious potential in Google's browser. How about, could Google Chrome nuke Microsoft? Or, seven really awesome things about Google Chrome. Or then again, Google Chrome lacks polish under the hood. Bottom line, Google's Chrome is a good proof of concept. But it's not anywhere close to being ready for prime time. A cursory examination of the browser by security experts reveals serious security problems. Even by Google's definition of beta, this is an application to treat with a lot of caution. If you're concerned that the company with the Don't Be Evil slogan might someday renege on that promise, you might want to avoid the urge to download. But if you do want to download it, you'll find a link to Google's Chrome website on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Every few weeks, I clean up my email folders. The amount of space freed depends largely on the number and size of large attachments that I've sent or received. But it never fails to amaze me when the volume of messages deleted approaches one gigabyte, which, by the way, is 63 times the size of my original hard drive and 90 times the size of the original IBM XT hard drive. In the past couple of weeks, I had received about 50 large Word documents, each with an embedded image that I needed to extract. Once that was done, I could delete the email message with the word attachments. Those messages alone counted for somewhere between 50 and 100 megabytes. While going through my email files, I was also uploading a 1.2 gigabyte file to a website. It consisted of those exact images that had been in the Word documents. I'd converted them to Photoshop format files, added some adjustment layers to fix problems with some of them, and then put them all in a zip file. I wanted to put them on the client's website for retrieval. And yes, it does take quite a while to upload a 1.2 gigabyte file. And recently I had deleted more than 40 gigabytes of video files that I won't need anymore. When I started the cleanup project, I had more than a terabyte of files stored on the computer. Now it's down to a slim 768 gigabytes. Remember when a one-gigabyte drive was more storage than you could ever imagine filling? Total available storage on this computer is about 1.5 terabytes. For the math challenge, that would be 1,500 gigabytes, 1,500,000 megabytes, Well, it goes on. This is the total available space on two internal drives, three external USB drives. When I first became involved with computers in the late 1970s, IBM probably didn't have a terabyte of storage capacity worldwide. In those days, personal computers had two floppy disk drives, if they had anything at all. Businesses owned computers with perhaps a gigantic 40 megabytes of hard drive attached. And if they did that, those drives sat on the floor and were about half the size of a washing machine. At that time, late 70s, early 80s, a Honeywell 200, eh, not exactly state-of-the-art even then, but it did its job, had 64 kilobytes of core memory in a box that was about 6 inches wide, more than a foot deep, and 18 inches tall. Today, you can buy an 8-gigabyte thumb drive for about 30 bucks. The DEC PDP-11 systems that were the backbone of the operation I was working for at the time had, as I recall, 128 kilobytes of memory. Some of those machines may have been upgraded to 256 kilobytes. And yes, I do mean kilobytes. Today, my watch has that much RAM. And today, most operating systems won't even load in less than 256 megabytes of RAM. Of course, if you want decent performance, you better have a gigabyte or two. It's time for the stupid spam of the week. Not much to this week's stupid spam, but it is the kind of message that somebody who's just a little too curious might fall for. I received a message from Russia. It claimed that there was a transaction that I was involved in, and that it had been halted by Russian security. Well, maybe it didn't really claim that I was involved. After all, the message wasn't addressed to me, but it claimed to include a PDF document with information about the transaction. So the victim, also known as the sucker, might be just ...curious enough to open the PDF. That would be a very bad idea. Here's the message. Hello. Attention. The wire sent to Maxim Zeverev, Moscow, Russia... ...has been blocked by our security service. Your credit card issuing bank has halted the transaction... ...by demand of the Federal Criminal Investigation Service case number 92816, since the recipient has been undergoing the international retrieval by the Interpol. Please contact the closest Western Union office and make sure you have your ID card, the credit card that was used for making the payment, and the invoice file with you. The invoice file is attached to this message. Please print it out and hand it to our agent. You can find the addresses of the closest Western Union agent on our Website. Our website, in this case, is www.westernunion.com. Thank you. Da et har show. Okay, you know the story about curiosity and the cat. The same holds true for humans. And maybe it's not always just curiosity. Some people probably think that they might be able to find a way to get a refund for the payment that they never sent. If that's the case, I really don't feel very sorry about what's going to happen to them. The link to Western Union is, of course, quite real. And at first glance, this looks like nothing more than a standard Nigerian 419 scam, or maybe just a plain vanilla identity theft operation. The attached file, as you might be able to tell if you take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website, is a zip file. The PDF is supposed to be inside. Well, I saved the attachment, I copied it to a thumb drive, then took that file to a Mac. It's possible to have a zipped file extract and run. I didn't want to take any chances. The file inside the zip displayed a PDF icon, but it was actually an executable file. Swapping one icon for another is trivial, but it's enough to convince someone that the file is really just a PDF, particularly if you haven't modified Microsoft's brain dead file display options. By default, all current versions of Windows hide the file extension, so if the file displays a PDF icon and Windows doesn't show you the extension, what are you to think? It's a PDF. I sincerely hope that whoever pushed to hide file extensions by default at Microsoft has been fired. It's probably the dumbest thing Microsoft has ever done. So, if you're on a Windows machine and you're reasonably cautious, you have saved the attachment and you've opened the zip file. You have extracted the document from the zip file, and maybe you've even scanned it with your antivirus program, which will probably give it a clean bill of health. What happens when you open the PDF document? (laughs) Well, as I said, it's really a program file. It's an executable. I don't know what will happen. I didn't open it. I don't want to know. Because I do know this, whatever would happen is something I don't want to happen to my computer. In nerdly news, as of late this past week, Yahoo's stock price had dropped to a five-year low, with no sign of decelerating. The company refused Microsoft's overly generous offer of $47.5 billion dollars, and is now resting at a level more than $13 billion below what shareholders would have received if the company had accepted the May offer of $33 per share. Yahoo wanted more and wouldn't settle for less. Stockholders and maybe even the company management would be delighted to get $33 a share now, The board is under intensifying pressure to dump chief executive and co-founder Jerry Yang. Yang is also a member of the board, and he has promised to increase Yahoo's net revenue 25% or more per year for the next two years. A big question for most observers, how are you going to do that? Yahoo's annual meeting was in August, and more than one-third of the shareholders opposed Yang's re-election. Yahoo's annual meeting was in August, and more than one-third of the shareholders opposed Yang's re-election. Yahoo has worked out a deal with Google, but it looks suspiciously like the joint operating agreements that were popular with newspapers a couple of decades ago. The JOA's had the effect of propping up a declining newspaper for a few years, then allowing the stronger paper to kill the weaker one whenever it wanted to. Columbus residents will remember that we once had a morning newspaper called the Citizen Journal. The afternoon paper was the Dispatch. Well, the Dispatch is now the morning newspaper. The Citizen Journal is dead. Google's free web browser Chrome, as I noted previously, will certainly direct adopters to Google searches and away from Yahoo searches. Another smart move by Yahoo. Samsung Electronics, already the world's largest maker of memory chips, may now buy flash memory maker SanDisk. Recent regulatory filing notes that Samsung is considering acquisition of the $3.2 billion SanDisk company. According to a company news release, Samsung is considering various opportunities concerning SanDisk. Well, if this happens, it could be a problem for Toshiba, one of the other big players in the market. SanDisk plays its cards close to the virtual vest, so to speak. Admitting conversations with various companies, Samsung included, it refuses to elaborate. Currently, Samsung pays SanDisk nearly $354 million per year in licensing fees, and the market price of flash memory is dropping quickly. If you have any doubts about that, consider the advertised price of an 8 gigabyte flash memory card. Advertised specials price these at less than $50 and often less than $20. Because flash memory will eventually replace magnetic disk storage, there has been speculation that companies such as Seagate Technology might be interested in buying flash memory companies such as SanDisk. It's going to be interesting. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBotter Worldwide for the week of September 7th, 2008. Got the year right this time. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.